0: Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Analytics Podcast, Mike Lewis, uh, joined by Doug Battle. As always, we are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, how are you this morning?
1: I'm well, Mike. Uh, we had a sports scare this last week. And for those of you that don't know what I'm referencing, I am referencing the possibility of the NBA not continuing its postseason followed by the NBA coming back. So we had a little boycott, um, and there's a little bit to unpack there as far as ramifications on union power in the league and, and what these players can do with their platform. Um, but they're back now. So, so that happened this week and you know, what's interesting to me too, is Jamar Chase, probably the number one receiver in next year's draft, opting out at LSU for non COVID reasons reportedly, um, just, just had an excuse to opt out and did it. And and I think that's something that can set a precedent moving forward as well.
0: Well, how about we start with the, uh, let's start with the NBA players and and then come back to, well, a bunch of college football uh, items wasn't just a boycott right I mean it, it seemed like it was almost going to cascade to the other leagues and all of sports was going to shut down for a minute there I, I, I mean it, it, every everything was paused yeah I, I saw one report that suggests that perhaps the key and, and look this is a business people aren't going to like it but there are about two billion dollars were on the line and so a compromise was reached and the players came back and resumed play. Now, uh, you used an interesting word, and it's a word that's repeated a lot in all this, that the players are using their platform Mm -hmm. to advance their agenda, let's say. Uh, You know, an agenda might be too loaded of a word, but the players are using their platform to advance the issues that they are concerned with. I'll try and keep this as neutral as as possible. It's an interesting thing, and I've heard that phrase a lot frankly it's a little bit well i think the way that the way that i'm looking at this is the balance of power i mean in the business world we might say different stakeholders the idea that this is the nba's nba players platform is an interesting one i suspect there would have been pushback to that idea in terms of well who owned who who whose platform was it but i think after the last several years that you are correct that it is the players platform the nba has was always the players league but it has become almost in, entirely the players league in terms of where the the balance of power power is and I, and i think that makes sense the nba has always been very much this the star powered league right it's driven by lebron and luka and uh, the Greek freak, and and, and it, you know, year in, year out, th- those names are going to change, but it's almost always driven by the players. Um, we've seen over the last years this movement where the players now almost control who wins the championship, right? Where they decide to form super teams in the offseason where the free agents congregate. And now I, I think it is really being the the, the Let's say the, the cultural forces of the NBA are now really being driven by the players. Now, in this case, these cultural movements end up really being very closely tied to political mo- movements as well. But it's um, uh, it is a story that maybe we don't want to delve too deeply in. It feels like kind of a third rail situation. But it is an interesting thing in terms of how the balance of power has switched within that league in terms of, well, who's really... Who's really pushing the Who's pushing the NBA brand forward?
1: Yeah, and I think the bottom line, uh, regardless of, of what you know an individual's personal beliefs are, is that sports are and have been moving in this direction. Um, and I think the players realizing their power in the NBA um, has already spread across leagues. You look at college football and in you know, players making demands of their conference and things of that nature as far as compensation. But players are valuable, uh, and, and they know that without their play, you know, some of these owners in the NBA and, and commissioners and in, in college football and things of that nature um, don't have a way to make a living. And so they're figuring out ways to leverage it to get what they want And in the case of the NBA, it's, you know, raising awareness, raising, I mean, I know owners have contributed $300 million to uh, African-American communities as part of some of the uh, negotiations here with players. And so um, I think it'll be, I don't think this is going away. I think this is going to be how sports are for the foreseeable future. Absolutely.
0: Well, I think it's safe to say that, look, all of entertainment, all of fandom is shifting, shifting rapidly. Um, the business models are changing fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, uh, <laughs> and you know, you might be a little young for this because the music industry was fairly different as you were growing up. Yeah. But you know, the the issue is, in some ways, who's the who's the leads? You know, who's the lead singer? Right, and so the lead singer is almost always going to go solo at some point. The lead singer is where the the front man is where the power is, and the the way the world of sports has evolved is that the athlete is, and you can say justifiably so, but I mean, I'll the athlete is where the power is. Now, I w- have always been on record in terms of pushing back, um, pushing back in terms of let's say where the power should lie and you you mentioned college football i think one of the things that folks get a little bit wrong is by attributing too much of too much of let's say current demand for sports to the current athletes Mm. um i think that so much of what makes fandom sports fandom unique is the importance of the past, and so the the importance of the past ends up being disregarded a little bit when you say that you know it's the current athletes that are going to put people in, you know, that are going to put ninety five or one hundred and ten thousand or one hundred thousand people into an SEC stadium. I might argue that, like, I I'll just put it out there, because I, I don't know who's Georgia's starting running back this year. Who's their top tailback?
1: Well, at Georgia, there's kind of like one A and one B, but I guess technically it would be Zamir White at the moment, or also known as Zeus.
0: Okay. So is Zeus more responsible for the, and, and what do you guys see there? 95K? Okay. Uh,
1: 96, or, or, but yeah. Or maybe roughly. 15K this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, it's going <laughs> to, I think it's going to be around 20 to 25. Yeah. Um, Based on conversations I've had recently.
0: So is Zeus putting the guy in the seat, putting the fans in the seats, or is it Herschel Walker? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's an interesting case because, of course, like it has more
1: to do with the past as far as building the fandom. But at the same time, like as a fan personally, if Georgia has, you know, the local high school team out there in the Georgia uniforms, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to pay that money to go watch them play. so the so the current players, you know, I think it's somewhere in between the extremes of were there entirely for Herschel Walker's, what he built and were there entirely for Zamir White?
0: well, and I think that's dead on that there is this there's this balance. And then the question becomes, you know when we started, uh, you know in in some ways, if we're going to start paying the NCAA athletes, maybe we should be writing checks to the former athletes. To the former Whoa. athletes as well, I, I, but I, I think you're dead on that it's this, it's this balance now, where we might argue is is where is the uh, you know where 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 is sort of the the point of the point in between current and the past? I mean, because because Doug, I got I got news for you. I suspect, and and I love the, I love the Georgia fan base. I think it is one of the premier fan bases in college sports. that actually doesn't get enough credit. I agree. Um, you guys travel, you guys are incredibly supportive. I think you're also sort of on the, in the SEC folks would disagree with me. You're also one of the more pleasant fan bases. Wow. Don't, I don't but, hear that. Often. But if you put from non-Georgia, but if you put, if you put a terrible Georgia team out there, a team that was going to go two and nine in a regular season or three and eight, I suspect you're still going to sell all the tickets for the, for a couple of yeah. years before you actually start to see that uh, before you start to see that decline. I mean, you, you want you want another you want some pro examples of that. Uh, think about th- organizations like the New York Knicks or the Los Angeles Lakers. So it's I agree with you that you know you've got to keep maintaining the quality and sort of building more. To put this in marketing terms. Very often you're in this position of harvesting versus building brand equity, and sometimes I think folks get the the balance a little bit wrong in terms of, you know, the the let's say the the current guys on the floor or on the field.
1: Yeah, that's not something that I've given much thought to, but I absolutely uh, absolutely see your point there. And while we're on the subject of of college football, I mentioned earlier Jamar Chase. Um, like I said, probably the top receiving prospect for this next year's NFL draft, opting to sit out the season. And to me, this is interesting because it really, I mean, coronavirus, of course, it's like that raised the option of now you can sit out a season, but you you could have done that before. And I remember when Trevor Lawrence won a national championship as a freshman, uh, reading an article, and I wish I remembered the author, um, but reading an article saying he should sit his next two years until he can go pro because his, his values as high it's going to be and the only thing that can happen in the next two years is him tear his ACL. So um, when we talk about power to players in, in college sports, these guys now who aren't being compensated um, are, are increasingly recognizing their option to just not play until they can be compensated in the nfl
0: this makes me think of the last class we put out there in fanalytics university where we talked about organizational decision making <laughs> and i'll it might not make sense at the at the moment but when we uh talk about decision makers and how they make decisions part of it is this issue of cognitive biases where you know the 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 human expert needs to be aware of the fact that we all fall into habits. We use heuristics that cause suboptimal decisions. This, your discussion about Trevor Lawrence and, you know, other guys potentially sitting out, uh, individuals, I think over the last few years, I don't, I don't remember when it started. Do you remember when it started where folks would, where players would stop, they would not play in the bowl games?
1: Pretty recent. Right. Yeah. I mean, the last couple years.
0: And I think it also there were also a number of guys that, you know, with a little bit of injuries decided not to come back. So we've seen this trend that may be accelerating where I come to come down on this is it's it's almost like there's a bias of maybe an invincibility bias or an invulnerability bias for some of these players, because as, as much as I hate to admit it, because I'm a I'm a big college sports fan is I think both of us, maybe our primary interest, maybe you're college football, I'm college basketball. Yeah. But for a lot of these guys, the rational, the optimal, the dynamically optimal decision probably is not to play. And it is their And I'm not going to say it's ego, but it's like their love of their game. And, and maybe maybe it is some of the 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 fact that they think they're the best guy out there and they're unstoppable it's it's an interesting observation that you make because I do suspect that the economically rational thing to do is as soon as your draft position is established is to shut it down and not play again until you start to get paid.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as a fan, like, that concerns me because you look at uh, some of the great teams that we've had over the years and those teams would have, I mean, a guy like, for example, Nick Chubb or Todd Gurley um, – or Jacob so a lot of those guys probably would have been first round picks.
0: Okay. After you. Okay, we got to refine this. I think everyone gets this, but when Doug says "we," he is talking about the Georgia Nation, the Georgia Bulldog Nation. Yes, I apologize for that.
1: I I should have uh,
0: <laughs> I
1: should have clarified. Um, I'm getting my podcasts mixed up. Here. <laughs> but uh, I do a Georgia one too. Um, so when the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, look back on some of the teams that they've had. And, and yeah, those teams wouldn't have happened with these guys going pro early and the quality of play. I mean, it, it gets to where it seems like college football at some point is going to become like college basketball um, where there's kind of the one and dones. And then, you, you know, a team like Duke has no... The, the teams with the most elite talent are, are always playing freshmen and always kind of have that disadvantage of not having experience on their team. Um, do Kentucky see it every year? And so, the, I mean, the quality of the product, undoubtedly, if, if players like Jamar Chase continue uh, this trajectory of increasingly leaving early, like starting with the bowl games and then now a whole junior season, but who says, you know, who's to say not sophomore and junior season? Um, it, it could definitely diminish the product in college football
0: well who's to say that a college basketball player doesn't come out have a great maui tournament and sit um solidify their position in the in on the draft charts and then shut it down
1: i mean kyrie irving didn't do that um but he was injured so much his freshman year and and played a handful of games still number one pick perfect example of the fact that you don't have to play a full season to to have that draft spot, and there's really nothing but but risk, um, and it's quite the risk for someone someone that does not have uh, those kinds of financial assets, and is risking twenty million dollars or you know some some insane number like that over a college season. It's just not in their personal financial best interest to play as many games as possible in college
0: no but oddly and you know over the over the weekend uh, really just hitting the media this morning John Thompson uh, Georgetown's I will say legendary coach uh, passed away yeah and you know this whole conversation just you know keeps bringing back to this notion of well, these these different levels of organizations—the players versus the the teams—and so in, when I think of John Thompson, well, it, and look, it's this is uh, this is kind of the magic of sports and going back into this idea of nostalgia or how brands are built. If you ask me, and, and I think this happens to everyone as they go through life, if you ask me to name college basketball coaches, and you ask me who's the coach at Georgetown, I, I, I got to say John Thompson. Um, You know, and I, you know, if you ask me, Indiana, I'm going to say, you know, I got to stop myself from saying Bob Knight. (laughs) And so, you know, these guys had these long, really successful careers. When I, I, when I think of Georgetown, I also think of Patrick Ewing. And I think at that point probably played three seasons, took them on deep NCAA runs. Who's
1: now coach, I believe. Sorry? I believe. Yes, I, I, I think that's correct. Yeah.
0: And so you know this is where the brand equity is created, right? So you could say that uh, Thompson and really Patrick Ewing is where they the brand equity is is uh, is developed with. And by brand equity, I'm saying sort of the, the fondness of the fans, the the passion of the fans. But you know if you were to put this in let's say present day dollars. Patrick Ewing was uh, what what's an NBA max contract these days, do you know? Can we say it's 20 million? 25 million?
1: Oh, well, <laughs> for a year maybe. Um, yeah. But but obviously the max contracts are over
0: Well, but but if we just say let's say it's 25 million, then Patrick Ewing in, in present-day dollars for, you know, he he did without $75 million. To play for Georgetown and build that brand equity, right? So it, it, there is a lot of complexity here in terms of how that, how that pie should be, how that pie should be divided up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about player compensation, um, everyone speaks of it as if if we just pay the players something and they all get paid the same, and it's they're paid that that's going to be at the end of the problem. Well, guess what? Until there's, you know, a way to scientifically determine the value that each player has contributed to the equity of, of these universities yeah. and their athletic programs. Um, there's always going to be a demand for more payment toward players.
0: Well, and you're dead on that as well. I mean, when I say Patrick Ewing forego forwent $75 million, well, you know, guess what the the guy that was the sixth player on that georgetown team was probably an incredibly valuable contributor but did he actually do anything to build that brand you know beyond the fact that maybe he helped team success a little bit you know not not so much so it's uh you're, and this this i think boils down to the complexity in terms of these movement or the the push to pay the players is that it really is an incredibly complicated situation, and the this issue of building up the brands, building up the fan bases, is something that is almost never, uh, never a part of this conversation. But it is, it is relevant, and you know, especially when we're talking about things like Georgia. You're a Georgia grad. Um, I'm an L- Illinois grad. Georgia has that built-in fan base right because you love you love that school right you love Athens yeah. you love the university you are a Georgia fan for life the football team is the you know it's, it's the focal point is where you probably come back and connect to that university but the the, the point is just that there's a lot of going on, there's a lot of elements going on and so paying the players ends up being a a tough one but it is look we talked about this earlier when we were, more related to the NBA and the G League. This college sports system is very shaky at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that it's going to fundamentally change over the next 3-4 years as we come out of as we come out of COVID.
1: Yeah, I, no doubt in my mind. I'll add this to something to keep an eye on. We know the Big 10 is now apparently discussing returning to football in November after a little timeline here. They said, here's our schedule for the fall. And then a few days later, they said, no football till the spring. We're drawing the line. We're not coming back on this. And then now, um, after much backlash and the realization of the potential losses, uh, both currently and down the road, uh, from a competitive standpoint and monetary standpoint, the league is reportedly considering a Thanksgiving start um
0: have they have they put a lot of details out there how many games would they play when no, would the
1: season yeah no, when would the season end no details and apparently they're not there won't be any details for a number of days and then i would expect some sort of announcement um one way or the other i actually expect them to try to play which is hilarious at this point because it's like they waited until flu season and coronavirus are overlapping and decided that would be the best time um Inconveniently, well, well, I'm not even going to get into that. The timing.
0: Hopefully, they'll schedule the Ohio State-Michigan game the same weekend as the whatever national championship the ACC <laughs> and the SEC are playing. Yeah,
1: um, but anyway, you got players in that conference all of a sudden face an even different <laughs> obstacle because or, or scenario. Um, Because if if you're draft eligible, and at that point, it seems like your season is going to kind of overlap, whether they start in November or they start in the spring. If they were to have a season, it would probably overlap with some draft and uh, combine prep time. And, you know, there's some top prospects. Obviously, Ohio State always has a number of guys, Justin Fields being the most noteworthy. And Justin Fields was seen at Georgia's open scrimmage this weekend. Um, so, to me, like, that kid's done with college football. There's no way he's even allowed at, at another team's... Um, not open scrimmage, excuse me, closed scrimmage, closed practice, a potential playoff competitor. There, there's no way that's happening if he's still playing college football at the Ohio State University. So, I expect transfers I expect guys sitting for the draft all kinds of ramifications in the big Ten if they're to play a season um, for for their original decision to pause and delay
0: so so you're thinking is that Justin field after being the essentially the the face of the movement to push the big Ten back into playing <laughs> is is not going to play I
1: think at this point I think he's I think he's I don't know. I think he's ready for I think he's accepted. He's he's gone through the stages of grief and he's at the acceptance <laughs> stage and it's time to get ready for the draft. I mean, think about it for the kid. Yeah, it stinks. He he could have won the Heisman, he could have won a national championship, but at this point, um, if if that's gonna interfere with his draft stock or, or with his uh his preparation for the NFL and he's he's got guaranteed so much money as as a young kid if he just does nothing for the next 6 months um and so to bring football in the mix and to have a a season where there's less practices leading up to it and um not the same level of competition as would be otherwise and in an overlap with draft preparation it's just I don't know. I don't think it's in his best interest. And I think the fact that he's at another team's practice either means, well, just, of course the internet blew up about him potentially transferring back to Georgia, which would be the storyline of 2020 in college football. Um, I don't think that's feasible. I don't think it's happening, but I also don't think he would be allowed at, at an open, or I mean at a close scrimmage if, if there was a chance he was going to be playing this year. So I think that's telling either uh-huh. about the big 10 or about his decision
0: but what him what does allowed even mean right i mean who knows if he even asked permission right i mean maybe he's taking classes online and he's living back home in georgia and just rolled over there i mean it's it's i agree with you it's a fascinating development um hey all uh, justin fields you know we could almost make a case that he is uh, you know he, he somehow he has a life that is like almost being scripted by a, a movie agent uh, you know, by a by a screenwriter at this point I mean what a you know from starting out getting this high-level attention on a you know I th- he was on a Netflix show wasn't he that um, qb1, the QB1 mm-hmm. series yep to you know being to, to having a built-in rivalry with Trevor Lawrence to sort of an acrimonious and in some ways transfer from Georgia going up to Ohio state, instantly breaking through and then coming back, like you said, to go to a Georgia practice. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it almost seems scripted in a way. Um, but I all, but you know, continuing with the theme this morning, you know, he is a he is a star with legitimate brand power, Absolutely. and his career will be really fascinating to watch how it plays out.
1: Yeah, and just I hate to even think this way, but to imagine him coming back and playing a shortened season, if something were to happen given all that's gone on in his life and career thus far, if something were to happen in that season, it could just totally derail everything that, that he's worked for and that he's been patient for. It would be a tough decision. He's, he would be in a tough position if, uh, if the Big Ten were to return to play, even though that was his, his original demand. So it'll be interesting to watch, interesting to keep an eye on. If the Big Ten loses a player of that caliber, um, in in a Heisman and potential national championship season, that uh, that's that's rough. That's rough for that conference. And think about, I mean, we talk about how complex these things are as far as determining where the value is and, and who's contributing to it. There's no doubt that that there's not a more valuable player to the Big Ten than Justin Fields.
0: Absolutely true in the present moment. But if he like, if your speculation is correct, and then I don't see why it, it sounds pretty reasonable, if he doesn't play. So he's the most important player in the Big Ten this year, but long term, if he doesn't play, it's almost like he's a he's sort of a blip in the history of that program, right? That there was a, it's well, you know, it it, it is what it is in, in some ways in terms of this modern athlete where um you know, in some ways what you are seeing, and this is a long term long time trend coming, less of this guy comes to a school, plays four years or goes to a city and has a Tom Brady length career Mm. to much to more of this kind of mercenary popping in and out for a season or two to approach. And again, you know, it's like uh, we we didn't sort of write out a theme for today's episode, but it does come back to this notion of of the shifting in the power between the various teams, leagues and, and players and the players now being in a position for whatever forces are sort of causing this shift to being in a better position to maximize their economic value rather than the leagues or, or teams.
1: Absolutely. I think we're seeing a shift in, in player power. Uh, that's the okay. word right there.
0: Let me, let's Let's change direction for uh to to wrap up today's episode because i know you are a i know you are a movie guy oh the theaters are opening up again and i think this was sort of the this is sort of the they're 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 you know that putting the foot back dipping a toe in the water and opening the theaters and some new releases out there and i think you know we we got used to for for years seeing oh you know the the marvel latest blockbuster opened up to a 200 million dollar opening weekend and the reports now are you know for some of these it's uh, well it opened up for 3 million dollars now hmm. obviously a big change i think the and th- this is why I think you know everything's going to change. Sports is going to change, but now movies will primarily be distributed, you know, via via smart devices. Mm-hmm. What is your thought in terms of the traditional movie theater experience,
1: Mike? You really, man you you really uh, you're really touching on a, a subject that's dear to my heart your boy on friday well
0: let me let me slow it slow you down and i, I very much want to hear this because i mean i'm even interested in the fact that at your age of 24 or 25 i forget that this th- experience is uh is important to you i think that's that's kind of great and so as you go through this how much of how much of that is a little bit unusual for someone in your uh, demographic? I
1: will say it, my opinion is not representative of my demographic, as is the case with many <laughs> many things. Um, but yeah, I, I have already been back to theaters, I will admit. Um, and
0: how many folks were there? Th- th-
1: my girlfriend, me, and two other couples in a ginormous. <laughs> th- th- we basically had it rented out. Um, a ginormous theater. We were spaced out, and you know it was completely safe. Everyone's wearing a mask, whatever. But we watched Inception because they brought it back on its ten year anniversary, and it was glorious experience. You cannot replace the sound, the picture, the experience of a movie theater with with the home experience. It's just not the same. The home experience is a uh, it's a poor man's movie theater, and I have a hard time grasping the the possibility that we could be moving away from this tonight. I have my tickets for an early showing of *Tenet* by Christopher Nolan, the same director of inception and, uh, who is my favorite director and films like that deserve to be seen in theaters. Uh, the amount of money and the amount of work that goes into making them. And, and I think the biggest thing is the sound design, um, as someone who, who, uh, who's done a little bit of that, you know, in, in school. Um, but yeah it's it's a different experience it's a different product uh it's an inferior product at home for those types of movies that are so technically sound and so technically um advanced and and it takes great technology to showcase everything that's going on that that's just simply difficult to do at home it's also it's a great—I mean, it's it's kind of the classic date, you know, going on a movie, going out to dinner, going to watch a movie. It's just a—it's it's a pastime that I grew up with, and I think a lot of people did, and that will be hard to let go of if if these theaters really suffer the kind of consequences that are being predicted because of COVID.
0: Okay, so the part of the reason why the movies were on my mind is there's a Bill and Ted— uh, <laughs> you know uh, the third movie in the Bill and ted series and that came out for me in uh well that that came out in the in the late 80s and i have to admit this is one of the first movies in a while that i've seen advertised for that you know really kind of kind of struck a chord it's like you know i'd be interested and in, i'd like to see that now for myself the idea of like going out to a theater to see something like that it seems really unlikely mm-hmm. um, so with, with that in my, and, and you know, then I sort of asked my question you know given this this emphasis on phantom I asked my question of why not and I come up with the answer of too much of a hassle so for this for this product and and look you are dead on and it's, it, like I said it's, it's kind of surprising for someone your age. The movie theater is the the classic. It's it's the classic date. It's consumption with a crowd, right? And crowds are fascinating things in terms of fandom. Community is it? That's your Is word. it better? Yeah, is it better to almost just have this this energy? Well, when I think community, I think a lot of times we'll, you know you can talk about it afterwards, but even the fact that there's a crowd, it's like you you have this energy and this this is so true in sports right this energy oh, yeah. that is contagious or and i feel like you know it's rika energy master kind of kind of nonsense but I, but there is something to us as as human beings that being part of a crowd is meaningful and so if you take away that that crowd if the movie theaters don't open because of, you know, say safety, don't re-successfully open because of safety concerns. And then the product dies off because of issues of convenience, and then people just get used to watching stuff on their phones or their iPads. What is the impact on that industry long term? Does it just get smaller? Um, is there still the same kind of shared cultural relevance around of Star Wars or the Marvel movies? How do you think it plays out?
1: I can't imagine I mean, just you talking about it. Uh, the anticipation of a crowd on the opening night of a, a Star Wars film is just crucial to that to that fandom in my opinion. <laughs> Um, And it's lacking with this, even with something like The Mandalorian, uh, which is a fantastic show and and has done well, um, it it does lack that magic of being in a theater full of people who are just as excited as you to see something new in that universe. Um, And so, you know, when we talk about if movie theaters die, my first thought is that there is a market because there's people like me. And the idea of all movie theaters dying I don't know I could see it becoming more of a premium product or more of a, a rarity um, but I think if if some of these theaters go under and you know I think someone will just buy it and change the business and try to adapt and and make it into something that's uh, that people go out of their way for um, and and we've seen that with even with like alcohol being sold at theaters and, and kind of a change in consumption options within the theater and with its food and drinks um the meals now being served at some of these theaters and uh it's they're they're trying to adapt and they're doing what they can but yeah i think it absolutely changes film and the way movies are made even um if the theater element is taken out of the equation
0: Yep. I think that's going to be our theme moving forward for the next couple of years and all things fandom related of what is the change going to be? OK, so as we wrap up, Doug, any uh, any last words or yeah. anyone you're rooting for in particular this week? <laughs> uh,
1: a couple last words. We, we kind of tend to lose track of the MLB because honestly it's not covered that much and I never hear anything about it. Um, outside of specifically looking. But it is trade deadline day in the MLB, so we could see some shakeups that could affect the future of baseball today. Um, I got a big fantasy football draft on Wednesday night. Mike, if you have any sports analytics advice that applies to uh, to fantasy football, you know, we can discuss that. But football season is right around the corner, and fantasy football is probably <laughs> the most... Uh, consumed form of NFL football for for the majority of people, at least people that I know, um, and I love it. So excited for that. NBA, we got a game seven coming up between the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz. Um, Jamal Murray has been out of this world in that series, putting up some some historic playoff series numbers um, and pushing – that to a game seven and then the second round of the NBA playoffs have begun. Celtics got our early lead over the Raptors yesterday. Um, but we've got, we've got some good series lined up. I think Rockets Lakers could be interesting. Uh, obviously I'm excited about Celtics Raptors and, um, we'll see what happens with the nuggets and the jazz. So that is kind of my, my sports recap last word. Um, we, Oh, we didn't even talk about the FCS, um, Football opener this week But we have You know High school football On television now On ESPN And we've got FCS football So Things are moving Toward football season Rapidly And uh, I couldn't be more
0: Excited about it I like all that I'll make one Real quick comment And that is just Almost essentially Kind of punt uh, Analytics is of course Kind of the key To winning In fantasy football But that's 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 a complicated question. At some point, we really should uh, almost do a special and sort of dive a little bit deeper into fantasy football. But that's definitely something, uh, you know, for anyone listen for the folks listening to this, if you think about how you construct fantasy football rosters, how you how you decide who to play. It's a great example for thinking about analytics because everyone is they've almost got these mental models in their minds. Like they've got these views of the world and they're selecting players based on a combination of data and, you know, their unique insights. And so it's a, it's a great topic for analytics, but it's something we've got to spend a little bit more time on. Uh, As a last word on this, I'll say, I'll say this. Um, One of the things that I think is interesting as a, someone watching the world of sports let's say not as a fan but as a, as an observer I, you know every once in a while I'll stop being a fan and take a step back is um the, the guy that I think is sort of the most fascinating case in the NBA right now might be Kawhi Leonard um you know perhaps the best player in the league and may, you know but also a guy that gets so much less attention <laughs> than so many other NBA superstars, yeah. and to the point where I find that kind of fascinating. And with what he has done in his, his career, his decision to go to the the Clippers and try and build the second brand, the second team in a city to a premium brand. So I'll leave it as a, he he's defeated the young upcomer in terms of uh, Luka Doncic. And I'll I'll how about if we end it by saying go Clips.
1: Um, one thing, because I just I can't let this slide. Luca would have had a much better shot with a healthy roster around him. And he's coming back. He's going to be the face of the league for the next uh, forever. And so you got to put that out there. But yes, Kawhi, not enough attention. And uh, you know what? Why not? Go clips.
0: I don't disagree. Go clips.